Good morning, Vision Christian Fellowship. I'm glad to be back with you for the second Sunday in a row. Uh, we've been talking about highways, and we will be on the on a series for the next few weeks on this matter of highways. And uh, I would like to turn with you to a passage of scripture in Psalm 84. We looked at Isaiah 35, the highway of, um, that will be in the wilderness. We'll look at another highway for a brief moment. Uh, Psalm 84, verse 5, it says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. And Zion was, in the Old Testament, very much thought of as the place of God's dwelling. Uh, Jerusalem was the geographical location of Zion, but Zion was the spiritual meaning of Jerusalem. There was a way in which Jerusalem most of the time, did not coincide with Zion in terms of fulfilling the, the, the purpose of the presence of the meaning of Jerusalem, which is Zion, which is God's, uh, God's dwelling, God's place of the base of operation, so to speak. Um, but um, when it says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are the highways to Zion, it's speaking about a way in which the highway in the heart is orientated and, and pointing and getting closer and moving closer to the, the fullness of God's manifestation in our lives. Passing through the valley of Baca, or the valley of tears, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength, and every one of them appears before God in Zion. And it's interesting that uh, this, this uh, little passage that we looked at speaks about our strength being in God, and then in the road that we take, into the future, we grow from strength to strength. There's something special about this highway. It's not just, uh, it's not a physical highway, but it's the highway of the heart. It's the progress of the heart, the heart's progress or journey towards getting closer and closer and, and, and stronger and stronger in God. And there's a way in which uh, it blows our mind that God has a trajectory for every one of our lives who are Christians. And the tra- trajectory is one that is sometimes hard to believe. We hear these things over and over again, and it's sort of, we kind of gloss over it. Think, think about this. In Romans chapter 8, it says, All things, or actually God works all things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. That means that the pathway of life is one that is supposed to end up in good. Now, I don't know how much you can believe this. I don't know how much, how wide your mouth can be open to that. But the fact is that when God calls us unto himself, he puts us on a highway, a highway that's not physical, but it's a highway that is material and significant and real nevertheless. It is a highway towards the fulfillment of God's purposes and God's manifestation of his power in us. And so I'd like to talk about these highways because of the fact that in these days, where it's often felt that there is no future, or the future is un, um, unclear, that God, in the midst of our unknowing, in the midst of all our, our, our confusion about what's going on, in the midst of roadblocks, God has a highway towards His purposes being fulfilled in our lives. Your life means something. It's not something in which God says, okay, I made you, I gave you some gifts, now good luck, go for it. No, it's one in which God wants to be with us on the highway, and it's a highway in which we go from strength to strength. The question does come up for for us, though, in real time, and that is, what happens if in the highway that of life, I mess up? Or I come to a place in which things are so tragically wrong or pitted against me that I can't go any further and there's nothing left for me. Today, I'd like to talk about that as we look at the life of Jacob. Let's go ahead and pray and ask God to speak to us. Once again, Lord, we thank you that we can be completely dependent, not upon our own brain work, but upon your faithfulness to speak to us in such a personal way that at the end of this hour or so, we will know that we've been spoken to in the very most personal and deep places of our heart. 
And so we ask you to come, Lord. Come and take our minds out, our hearts, and mold them. And speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's go back to uh, Jacob. Uh, last Sunday, you would have heard about Jacob's being born in uh, circumstances in which he was really not the chosen. He was not chosen to have the inheritance of his father, uh, Isaac, and his grandfather, Abraham, the covenant. He was the second son. He was the one not chosen. His, his, his whole name, Jacob, is defined by the fact that he is not the chosen one. He's not the legitimate one. And we saw how starting from these uh, very uh, hopeless foundations in life, God caused him to enter into a covenant that, that put him on a highway towards God. And we spoke about the fact that it was on this highway that God began to give him a name and change his name and gave him an identity. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, uh, just to recap for a little, uh, a little bit, um, in Genesis chapter 31, Jacob, after having really uh, outdid himself in deception, had, had to run away from his, his uh, brother Esau because he had tricked him of his birthright. And Esau's famous last words to him was, I'm going to kill you. And so Jacob, in all his uh, conniving, wanting to get uh, benefit from his deceit, actually ended up losing everything and becoming an exile from the promised land, from the place of hope. He was an exile and he goes into this place uh, called Lutz and God speaks to him. And, and in that, in what ensued, Jacob actually became a pretty successful person. Yeah? But it was in um, Padan Aram or um, in the area of uh, Syria that God spoke to him and he says, you're not going to be a person who's an exile. I'm going to fulfill my promise to you. I want you to go back home. And so you, know, you find that when he's uh, working for his uh, uh, uncle Laban, and now he's married, uh, God speaks to him in chapter 31 of Genesis. And he says, he appears to Jacob and says, I am the God of Bethel, where I spoke to you and identified myself to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me, now arise, leave this land, this land in Syria, which is sort of uh, kind of um, north uh, east of uh, uh, the of Bethel. Go down there. You anointed a pillar. You made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. Rachel and Leah said to him, "Do we still have an portion and or inheritance in our father's house?" What they were saying is this: uh, We have no more inheritance. We better go back with you. Okay. And so God is telling him, tell, telling Jacob. You are a person who was chosen. You're not just a successful person. You're not a person who's living in this random world in which you make whatever you can for yourself. You are successful because I put my hand upon you. I chose you. I, I revealed myself to you in Bethel. Bethel is the place where I gave you a name. I said, you are, you are mine. And I made a covenant with you. It is on account of this covenant. It's because of this covenant that I'm calling you back to this place because I promise you I'm going to cause you to inherit the land where I spoke to you when you were flat on your back with nothing as an exile. And so Jacob is, go, decides to go back. But he has this one problem. The problem is that the person who was going to kill him bears a grudge against him. And in order for him to be able to fulfill God's purposes, he has got to get past Esau, who has already threatened to kill him. And so last week we spoke about the fact that as he comes down, the thing that is looming over him is the threat of Esau and his famous last words, I'm going to kill you. And Jacob is, is faced with this tension, and that is that God has promised him an inheritance because he is not an unchosen person. He is, a, he is called by God. He's, God's given him a promise. And at the same time, this promise could kill him because Esau is standing right there at the door waiting for him. And so he comes, and it is in this place where promise and death, promise and utter destruction collide together in a place called the river Jabok, which means the emptying. 
It's a name that, that Jacob gives to that, to that river. It's not a name that that river had or that brook had uh, before J- Jacob comes. So, so Jacob understands that this is a place of emptying. And in this emptying, Jacob encounters the angel of the Lord who represents God in some ways. And the angel begins to change the whole paradigm of his life and say, who are you? He said to, to, to Jacob, who are you? What's your name? And he said, I'm Jacob, which means uh, supplanter or not a legitimate person, not chosen, not a legitimate person of inheritance. And the, and the angel reveals to him, no, that's not your name. That is what's the name, that, that's the name that's been given to you. But the name that God gives to you is Israel. You're a prince of God. And Jacob sees this encounter with God. And surprisingly, he does not die from meeting God. He actually survives. And it's in this place that he comes out of Jabok and he's about to meet Esau, but he has had a radical change in his heart, a radical revelation of who he is. Okay? Now let's go into today's sermon. All right. Are you ready? All right. So... For those of you who, who were not here last week or who didn't, did not uh, log in last week, um, you can look at the sermon. I, I won't have time to go any more into that, but we're going to go into chapter 33. Okay, chapter 33 of Genesis. Uh, Genesis. Genesis 33. Then Jacob lifted his eyes. He had just had this encounter with the angel of the Lord, but he has not encountered Esau. So now he's facing the real threat. And behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. And so he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. And he put the maids and their children in front and Leah and his children next and Rachel and Joseph last. So what what Jacob does is that in order to sort of um, uh, cut down the risk to his most precious, he puts the least precious uh, people and, and goods in front, the, the children of his, his, uh, his handmaids. And then after that, the children of his least, his less preferred wife, Leah. And then he puts the children of his most preferred wife, Rachel. I mean, that's so messed up. I don't know what to say about that. We can have three sermons on that one. But in here he goes, and Jacob does the Jacob habit. The, the, the conniving, the kind of, the, the kind of manipulating thing, the kind of, trying to work it out, work out the angles by himself. And then they all meet Esau. And to his surprise, Esau runs up to him and hugs him, and they are reconciled. He gives to Esau, because of such fear of of Esau, so much of his own goods, but he he need not have done that because of the fact that actually God had protected him. God would keep his word. And Jacob did not realize his safety in the covenant of God. Okay, so what happens is this. So he meets Esau and they are reconciled. And Esau says, says to him, I have so much, I have enough. You don't have to give me anything. I have been blessed by the Lord as well. And so they have a tremendous re- uh, reconciliation and all of Jacob's fears are completely assuaged. But he still has a sense of insecurity. And so when Esau says, let's all go back together. We're going back south, back back to the to our close to where we, are, where we all came from from our homes and so they are actually meant to go southwards towards bethel towards uh um uh, hebron where um his father's homestead was and jacob does a very interesting thing and i'd like us to look at this because what he does really is something i'd like to dwell on today Jacob tells him, no, you carry on. He doesn't feel comfortable with Esau. I don't, he didn't want to go to Esau just in, because he was afraid of Esau. And in spite of the fact that God had said, now I want you to go down south towards Bethel, Jacob does a whole other thing. After he has been saved, after God has saved him, he does something else. And so here we look at it. Um, Verse 15, Esau says, please let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he says, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, where he comes from. And Jacob, verse 17, journeyed to Sukkot, which is north. 
instead of going south towards where the promise of God was, he goes north because it is safer. He journeyed to Sukkot and built for himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the place is called Sukkot. Now, Jacob, verse 18, came safely to the city of Shechem. Or it can be translated God. And Jacob came in peace to the city of Shechem, which is the land which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padan Aram and camped before the city. He bought the piece of land where he had pitched his tent from the hand of the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected there an altar and called it El Elohi, um, Israel. And there he is. It's a funny thing that happens, you know, after we are desperate and we encounter God and we ask God for his, for his salvation and his deliverance. It's a funny thing when God makes a covenant with us and he reveals himself to us and he, and he tells us who we are to him and takes us into a, a deep place in which our whole identity, our whole future is changed. It's a funny thing for us that after we've got that, after our desperation has been met by God's deliverance, it doesn't matter anymore. And we go for security. We go for a God who's not to be worshipped, but who is a God of benefits, of blessing, of security, of prosperity. A God who will help us. And I see that all over again, again and again. I even see it in my own life. I'm desperate before God and I make tremendous commitments to God. I remember that, 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 that during my school days, I would call every time I come to an exam, I say, God, I commit myself to you. Lord, I will, I will do everything that you ask me to. I'll be a missionary if you want. Just help me to pass my exams. And, and after that has happened and God has been faithful to, 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 to the cry of my heart, I find myself doing the same thing that Jacob had, putting a priority over his own safety or his own benefit from God over the encounter with God and who he is in God. He puts God to the side and God no longer becomes his all in all, the source of his identity. He is no longer um, given over to God, but God becomes instrumental for his own agenda. And so what we see here in these verses, these last few verses in chapter 33, is that God is sort of, he's still there, he still makes an altar to him, Elohi, Israel, but God is somehow subtly to the side. And I feel that there is something that seems so subtle, but it is actually a radical change that changes the whole trajectory of our highway. It changes the trajectory of life and it changes our identity because what happened is that in chapter 34, we will have no time, we won't, won't have time to read this. Jacob, by setting his foot peacefully into Shechem, got a whole lot of unpeace. Because what happens is that immediately after that, in the first few verses of chapter 34, Dina, his, uh, his daughter, goes out to go and meet the people out there in Shechem, this place that, that, he, that, that they had chosen because of the very benefit of that place. And she goes there, and she's raped by Hamor, the chieftain, Hamor's son. Uh, his name is Shechem. And after that, she is distraught, of course, and her brothers, all the other sons of Jacob, are mad, and they want to decide they're going to take revenge. Now, Shechem actually loved Dina, so he, in spite of the fact that he raped her, also wanted to marry her. I want to be wanted to be joined to her. Okay, so his heart pined after her, in spite of the fact that he did this hideous, hideous thing to her. And the sons of Jacob would not forgive him. They were mad and they hatched the plan. And basically, what they said to the people, the, 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 to um, Hamor and Shechem, the two leaders of this 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 area, this called Shechem, is this: We can't have Dina marry you because we are of a different religion unless you all get circumcised. And so this dastardly plan goes in. And so, surprisingly, Hamor and Shechem said, it's good, we want you to be a part of our, our community. And so we will all get circumcised, all the men get circumcised. And when the men were healing, 
uh, Simeon and Levi went in and slaughtered all the men and killed them while they were healing from their circumcision. It was a very uh, dirty, dirty um, game they played. And as a result of that, by the end of chapter 34, Jacob and his family were now in jeopardy. And so what we have is, in this, in this uh, situation, uh, Jacob says, You have brought trouble, verse, uh, verse 30 of chapter 34, You have brought trouble on me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and my men being few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me, and I will be destroyed, and me and my household. And Simeon and Levi were just completely not repentant. They just said, well, tough. And so you have a situation that's very intractical. The, Jacob comes to the end of his, of his road. He was going to be destroyed. He, this terrible thing that he and his, his, or rather his sons have done now makes him the odium of all the tribes around there. And everybody will be out to get him. He says, I will be destroyed now as a result of that. And it's because Jacob, instead of following the highway, the pathway to God, had this subtle change in which he went for security, the benefits of God, rather than God. And this is something that, that is, that's important for us to understand because there is this thing in each one of us that somehow, instead of worshipping God, instead of putting God as the be-all and the end, end all of our lives, the starting point of our life and the ending of our life, the one who is the Lord of our lives, what we do is that we know that God does good things for us, so we negotiate with God for those good things. And the center of our life is not God anymore. It is actually those benefits that we want, whether it's safety or a certain personal private peace. And so what happens is this, as a result of that, we end up in places off the highway. And instead of following God and experiencing God's provision for us and taking us to Zion, we ended up we end up in this place in which we're stuck. And I wonder whether some of us have experienced that, in which you've been following God and suddenly you can't go any further because something has messed up, something has gone wrong, or somehow subtly, instead of God being the Lord of your life, the God of your life to be worshipped, the, the starting and the ending of your life, you've made God an instrument of your benefit, for your benefit. And this is something that actually happens with Jacob's, um, Jacob's uh, uh, family. You know, it's really interesting how what happened was that as a result of that, Jacob and his sons begin to be absorbed into the society of Shechem that gives them an identity that's an alternative identity to God. And you have in this, 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 this episode the, the conflict between what I will call the Bethel side of us, where we are, we are given an identity from the presence of God, and the Shechem side of us, that it's that part of us that wants the comfort, the pleasure, the recognition, the popularity, and the name that the world can give to us. And often Christians, and I see this a lot in America, have a religion which is, I don't think it's Christianity actually, I think it's a way in which God is used to have the American dream. So God is subsumed under that American dream, we take the American dream, we sub-baptize it, and we use all the names of God, we use all the forms of God, but they are just to get, get us what we want. And I, as a result of that, we take on identity, an identity that Shechem, and she gives to us. Not what God has, but what Shechem has. And as a result of that, I feel that the Christianity has lost its way, has lost its power, it lost, has lost its presence of God in our lives. And I think that what God wants to do is to actually reveal himself to us. And it's in this place where, when, where Jacob was stuck that God comes to him and shows him God, praise God, that that's, even though it's the end of the road, God still has a way where there seems to be no way. Isn't that amazing? But even though we've messed up, God has a way. So let's go to chapter 35 now. We've made a quick, quick move from chapter 31 all the way to chapter 35 in a few minutes. Okay, let's go. Chapter 35, God comes to Jacob 
In the same way, I believe that he's coming to all of us. Some of us who have messed up and feel that there's no way forward. Some of us who have somehow lost our relationship with God. We've had an encounter with God, but it seems to be far away. And others' things have been put in its place. Maybe the American dream, maybe prosperity, maybe popularity, maybe some kind of your own branding, your own kind of, uh, your own kind of uh, identity. And, and for some of us, we've been given identity because we've been so absorbed into Shechem. We're so absorbed into what people think of us, us, us so absorbed into, into the, to the community around us that we've tried to be so much of a bridge to people that we've lost our identity. And I want to say that it is in this place sometimes that we get completely lost, and, but God is not lost. His eye is still upon you. Even though you feel God-forsaken, you're in a God-forsaken place, his eye is still upon you. So let's have a look at this. Chapter 35, God comes to the rescue and he says to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel. Remember what I told you to do before? Go up to Bethel, not Shechem, but Bethel, and live there. And that's the first thing he says. Bethel was the place where God met him in his need. Met him when he was alone by himself. No Shechem, no society, no friends, no popularity, nothing. It says, arise and go to, Je- and to Shechem. And I want you to live there. I want you to live out of my presence. I want you to live out of my revelation to you. I want you to live out of this covenant that you made with me. I do not want you to live out of Shechem. All the things that can give you a name and give you a, a safety but I want you to live out of Bethel, not out of Shechem. I think that's the first thing that needs to happen for the church to be restored to the power and the, and, the, and the reality of God. You have to live out of Bethel, not out of Shechem. I know we didn't talk about Bethel last week, but we will today. Okay? And make an altar there to God who, who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. I want you to get back to who you are. And I feel that this is a word for some Christians who you, you, you veered from where, who you are. And God's saying, go back to Bethel. Because in Shechem, there is no future. So Jacob said to his household and to all who are with him, put away the foreign gods which are among you, purify yourself and change your garments. Because you've been wearing Shechem garments. You've forgotten who you are. And I suspect Jacob's sons had, didn't know who he was. Maybe Jacob never shared with his sons that, that fateful meeting in Bethel. And he has to tell his sons what happened those years ago, 14 years ago, maybe more, 15 years ago. Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourself and change your garments and let us arise and go up to Bethel. It's amazing, isn't it? Bethel is south, but he says, let us go up to Bethel. And I feel that that's a, that's a word for us. And I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. And so they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods which they had and the rings that were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was near them. You see, the, the rings and the earrings were items of idolatry that were supposed to give protection. Okay, so they were like amulets. They were actually um, fashionable uh, items that gave them an identity with the people of Shechem, made them contemporaneous with the and 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 relevant to Shechem, but that were actually giving a, a false protection. So these amulets had to be taken off. The garments had to be taken off. And what God was what was God was saying to Jacob is this: Look. You've taken upon yourself an identity, may I say a branding, that comes from the world. That is actually destructive. That's actually going to destroy your pathway. And it will be destroyed and, and has caused you to destroy so many people. So many hundreds of people. You have taken upon yourself an identity that these rings are that represent. That is not from me. In the absence of an encounter with God, you have looked for an identity in Shechem. 
and you've taken upon yourself all that Shechem can give you. And so you are of Shechem now, not of Bethel. You have no power. You've chosen safety, popularity, security, blessings and benefits that Shechem can give. And as a result of that, your name is given to you by Shechem. You're Shechem. It's an identity that's not backed up by God. Now, I want to I wanna say this. This is, is, an, this is an issue that we, we can sometimes have as Christians where when there is a subtle move away from God, God's presence and God as the center of our lives to God as the benefactor of our lives, then the benefits become the center of our lives. They become our God. And, the, and what we do is that we are still looking for an identity, but we gain that identity or we acquire that identity from Shechem, from the world. And I want to put it to you that actually, this is something that Christians are doing all the time. We can end up putting upon ourselves garments, clothing, reputations, false identities that come from our environment, from the places that we are mixing, the places that we are gaining our identity from. And what God wanted for Jacob was this. Look, you're a person who's a prince with God. You have something far greater. Why are you looking to Shechem to actually give you that identity? You're just a copycat. When we look to Shechem, we become as Christians, at best, as contemporary as the world is. At best, second. At best, a copycat. Maybe a good copycat. I believe that the world is actually wanting to swallow us up into its own identity. And that's why a lot of people look at themselves and see themselves through the lenses of social media, through the lenses of what the media is saying. They've TikToked themselves until they are no longer in, 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 in view of themselves, of their own personality. They've twittered themselves out of existence, so much so they are no, no better than the sum, sum total of all that they have seen and they have imbibed, imbibed themselves into. We are constantly following and trying, in trying to brand ourselves, we follow what's out there, whereas God has something much more authentic than what we have. And that's what happens with, uh, with Jacob and his, and his sons. They end up being people who actually become destructive because all that desire for identity and to actually relate to the, to, to, to the popular things of the world becomes something that makes them destroy the world. And that's what happened with them. In wanting to be a bridge to Shechem, they destroyed Shechem. And as a result of that, they lost their protection. May I, may, I, may I say to you that God has much better for all of us. I was... Uh, I was very keen to see what would happen to my three girls after they stopped swimming. Many of you know that they were, they were swimming on, in, on a national level and uh, they did very well. But there came a time in which the Lord had spoken to them to stop swimming. And, uh, you know, Kaylin and Eliza were recruited for Johns Hopkins and, and Zephy as well for um, Princeton. But there came a time in which the call of God superseded the call of the, the identity in swimming. And I've seen that in many athletes, especially athletes on a higher level, they, are, they go to depression when that identity is taken away from them. I know of a person who played football in Stan for Stanford and was and became a doctor, actually. And when he stopped playing football, uh, actually he played for Stanford and then went on to play for the Rams, um, he went into very, very deep depression because he got his identity from the achievements that he, would, he, had, um, he had made. 
And I watched very closely to see how our girls would, would do. And I was interested to see that each one of them found an identity in God quite apart from swimming. And I would t- question them and ask them about swimming. And they didn't even want to talk about it. They were just focused on things that had to do with what God was doing in their lives. And today I'm really pleased to see that that transition from the swimming world into just real life world is one in which I'm noticing that they don't get their identity from their achievement, but from God. I think there is something that is, that's, that's happening today in which Shechem is wanting to suck your identity out and giving you a, its own name. Many of us experience that when we try to gain an identity from all the things, whether it's looking good or being smart or being successful or being gifted. And I wonder whether God is speaking to you today about that. There's a way in which demonic powers want to actually suck us up and change us. So that instead of being the saviors of the world, the, the, the family of Jacob became destroyers of Shechem because of the fact that they lost their identity. And so God calls them back. And, that, and so I want to just talk a little bit about how God begins to give us back our identity, give us back our, our name in this world. Okay, In chapter 35, Verse 4, we saw they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods. Excuse me. All the foreign gods which they had and the rings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, there was a great terror upon the cities which were around them. And they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And so Jacob came to Lutz, which was in the land of Canaan, which is called Bethel. And the first thing that happened for them is that when they divested themselves of all the things of Shechem that would give them a name, God did something that has to do with true identity. It's almost as if the presence of God became like a canopy over them, hiding them from everyone. And there's an aura, a supernatural aura that comes with true identity from God. A true identity from God is backed up by God. It comes when you die to yourself and you say, I am no longer trying to, 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 to um, follow the identity of my own do- making or, my, or the name of my own making, but I follow God and I die to myself. The scripture says, Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. And when they divest them, we divest ourselves, our old identity, something comes upon us. I want to put it to you that identity is not just what you call yourself. Identity is not just the things that you're good at, not, a, not even the things that you're unique at, but identity has to do with something that God does upon you uniquely. Identity comes when God backs up the name that He gives to you. And as they got rid of Shechem identity, the identity that they were hankering after, as they got rid of that, they came to a point where they were completely vulnerable. All those, those amulets and all that were not there to protect them anymore. By, by the way, I come from Malaysia and I know these amulets are very, very powerful. But there's a way in which they divested themselves of anything that would support that old life. And they, caught, they came towards Bethel. And as they came, the Bible says that there's a, a a terror of great, of great weight came upon them. And as they walked from all the way from, um, from Shechem to Bethel, it was quite a distance, they were protected. May I suggest to you that when God speaks about identity, He's not talking about a nice name that it would be nice for you to have. We all have names for our children, and I don't know what you call your, ch- your children or what you call yourself, but when God gives you a name and gives your children a name, He backs it up with His presence and His miracles. And so what happens is this, in order for us to get back to God and to be able to get back to get Bethel and to be the person that God has chosen you to be, May I suggest to you that you give it up. Give up the amulets, the decorations, the 
uh, accolades perhaps and give them back to God and not live by them. You do not live in Shechem. You live in Bethel. And so God says, live there. Live in Bethel. Live in my presence. And every day what happens is that we come before Him empty. And God has to begin to reveal Himself and He will. And how we do that, that is, to be able to, is to be able to surrender ourselves to Him every day and put Him first in our life. If you've never had a quiet time in your life or you don't have a quiet time, I want, you, I want to put it to you. You put that first. Put that first. Put God first in your life first before you go see anybody. Put God first in your life and place yourself in His hands and say, Lord, I surrender myself to you and wait upon Him. Now, as, we, as you wait upon Him, something will begin to stir because you are a child of God. And it may be that you have to wait a while, but if you just give Him that time, give Him a little bit of time, and start your day with Him first, He will direct your, step, your steps. Your integration point is not Shechem or what everybody is saying or what you have to do out there. Your integration point is God. And when you start with God, you will live out of God, the presence of God. And we, we can talk a little bit more about that as we move to the next few weeks. And so they gave, gave to Jacob all these things. A great terror came upon the cities which were all around them, and they did not pursue, and the people around who hated the, 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 the family of Jacob now did not pursue the sons of Jacob. It's an amazing thing. They did not pursue the sons of Jacob in verse 6. So Jacob came to Lutz, which is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, and he and all the people who were with him, and he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, the God of Bethel. Bethel is the house of God. So he says, I'm looking for not the house of God only. I want the, the God of the house of God. I want God, not the benefits, not the, not the, the American dream that somehow we become Christianized. No, it's the God of this, of all these dreams. It's not the God of, it's not my dreams, but, but God, the God of these dreams. In verse 9, God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. And he brings him back to that place of who he is and says, your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob. You see, you've been living as a supplanter. You went back to your old plans, your own habits. You went back to who the world had a whole of new about. And it's at this time that you are no longer to be Jacob. I don't see you as Jacob. I don't see you that way. But Israel shall be your name. And God tells him that again. And, you know, as Christians, we may have had an encounter with God. We may have had a, a tremendous experience with God. But I have sensed that in these days, we as Christians need to find ourselves in God again. Because it is only in God that an identity that is backed up by supernatural signs and wonders will be upon you. I remember when I first became a, a, a Christian and and God filled me with the Holy Spirit. And one day I was um, asked to speak at a, at, a, at, a, at a school, a high school. And uh, I did not know much of the Bible at the time. And so I tried to do all my best to be a good speaker, right? I majored in English. And so what I tried to do is to actually speak as eruditely as I could, with all the gifts that I could bring to the Bible, to bring creative, creative insights into the Bible. I spoke there, and nothing happened. I tried to live out of my own gifts. And then someone said, Michael, that was very nice. And when he said that, I knew he had some shadows behind him when he was saying that. He says, what he meant was this, it was nice but not powerful. There's no, no backing of God there. And he says, I think you should fast and pray and, and seek the Lord about that. Your words are good, but there's no power in there. It devastated me when I realized that I could not live out of my gifting. I could not give, live, live out of that, my, 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 my strength. I need to live out of God. 
And as I thought about it, I went into a sort of a, a, a small panic when I, and I thought, then what good am I? What, what can I do? I can't do anything. I can't control this. Everything that I do has no assurance that it will go well. But as I wait, waited on God and I fasted and prayed, God showed me that actually I am nothing and God is everything. If I pour out my life to Him and say to Him, God, you are everything. I have no strength for myself. I will only follow what you do. I have no confidence in myself. God will work. Well, somehow that school gave me another chance to speak. So a few months later, I went to speak in that school. And I, as I got ready to speak, I went into kind of a jammed up mode because I remember how badly it went before. And so I prayed and I prayed and I, and I sweated and I, and I wanted God. I have no assurance that it's going to go well. And then after a while, I came to a point where I could say, there's no way I can control how this is going to go. I surrender it all to you. I just surrendered it all to you. We went, and I was so nervous. I was, I was shaking in my pants. And then it was time for me to speak. As I got up to speak, I spoke only for maybe 15 minutes. And at the end of speaking for 15 minutes, I closed in prayer. And it was at that time when someone in the audience called out. I opened my eyes and I thought, what is going on? And this boy called on me and says, can God do a miracle for me? He said it in not exactly those words, but in words that's like that. I said, what miracle? And he came out from the, from the, from the lecture um, benches and he came out and he showed that he was, on, um, he was on a walking stick. And the whole group was there. The people that I was bringing to this meeting were there. And I blubbered out and said, yes, he can. And I thought, what am I doing? By that time, my, mouth, my words were all jumbled up. I didn't know what I was talking about. I was just in a, in a state. I said, well, come up and, and we'll pray for you. And so he came up. And I remember thinking, oh no, this is going to be this is, this is, this is going to be terrible. I've spoken for 15 minutes. I just blabbered. I don't know what I was talking about. And then this boy is coming up and he's asking for prayer. Now I'm going to make a whole mess of it. And I remembered at that time my name. That I name is nothing. <laughs> and only Christ in me is my identity. I knew at that time that there was nothing in me that could save the day. So I call everybody who was sitting on the on 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 the on the on the seats on the on the benches to pray for him and to stretch out your hand. And I prayed for him. And guess what? As I laid my hands upon him, the stick fell to the ground. I pick, I went down to pick it up because I thought he had dropped it. And then he just shook his head. My hand was on his head. And he shook his head and he said, I don't need it. I don't need it. I said, what? I don't need it. Everybody was praying. Everybody was praying with their eyes open, of course. (laughs) And he says, I don't need it. Now, he just started moving his foot. And before long, he started walking. And he started shouting, I don't need it, I don't need it. And everybody was started cheering. I tell you, God backed it up. God was appearing. I began to realize that my name for all my English lit training was of no use unless it's the name that God has given to me. Amen? I began to realize that 
the only way in which we can get a name is not to try to acquire a name from all those other things from Shechem, but in God, when we are nothing. God says, when He says, you are a son or a daughter of the living God, what He's saying is that you have the authority that, you come, that, that comes with you, but you cannot mix it with your own flesh. You cannot de- rely on the other things. I will be your authority. Amen? I want to tell you that this is something that what God does. Um, he does it when He brings us to a place like Bethel, where He actually brings us to an end of ourselves. And so it is in this place that God reminds Jacob about this. Your name is Jacob, yes. You may have been a person who's a conniver. You may have been a deceiver. You may have been a manipulator. You may have been a person who has actually tried to find your own way in terms of trying to get your, get a life for yourself. But i got to tell you, that is not who you are. May I say to you that on the cross, when Jesus died for, for, for us, He did not only die for our sins, but by His blood, He abrogated, washed away our past, our past identity. So much so that when you become a Christian, you don't become a Christian as the same person. You become a different person. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you become a Christian, all that has been the Jacob part of you, the Shechem part of you, the, the earrings part of you, the old garments part of you, the murderous part of you, the identity that's got from other, other places, is given up to him. On the, on the cross, Colossians says, he, cruci- he nailed it to the cross. He nailed those things so much so that, so much that they, these things have no more power over your life. And He rose again in your life. When we celebrate the resurrection, we celebrate the fact that we died with Christ on the cross. We died with Christ on the cross. And when He rose from the dead, we rose with Him to a new life. Therefore, God can look at us and He says, no matter how much you messed up, no matter how much wrong you have done, I put my newness upon you. And it's as if you've never done it. Can you believe that? All of us have a past. All of us have dark places that we are not proud of, we are ashamed of. And no one can hide the shame. Nobody can take it away. But there is something more powerful than any therapy. And that has to do with the fact that Christ on the cross, the infinite God, died for you and me and shed through his blood all my hang-ups, my past, my shame, and my sin. God does not support your branding. He does not support your old person. He's here and he lives his life through the new person, Christ. If you become a, if you become a person who's a child of God, God is with you. And He lives His life through you. He's given you a new life. Let's continue. Your name is Jacob, uh, God said to Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Thus He called him Israel. And then Jacob does something very, very interesting. You know what he does? He takes a a rock, just like he did the first time when he was in, in Bethel. And he pours wine over it. And then he takes the rock and he pours oil over it. You know what that means? It means Jacob was saying this, I am this rock, this ugly rock that has, has withstood the ravages of of, of, of time, of wind, of, of uh, erosion and all that. I'm just this rock. And this rock is a product of thousands of years of wearing down. But in you, I'm no longer merely that rock, that craggy rock. But you poured upon me, and the wine speaks of the blood of Jesus that would one day come. 
And the oil speaks of the oil of the Holy Spirit. And the oil is colorless. You can see through the oil. So you can see, still see the crags and the rock. But the rock is covered over by the Spirit. The power of God. The healing of God. And you and I, no matter what our past is, no matter what how rocky we've been, can today receive the oil, which is the oil of the Holy Spirit, the, the empowering, the covering over of the Holy Spirit, so much so that just as the children, the, the, the sons of Jacob walked through from, um, from Shechem to Bethel without any, any um, uh, recrimination or any attack, so too you and I, no matter how vulnerable you feel, you may feel like you're a not very pretty rock. You may feel like you're a rock that has stains and scars on it. You may feel that you're, rock, you're a rock that is the wrong shape, the wrong size, the wrong type, the wrong construction, the wrong composition. But when God pours over that rock, His oil and His wine, He pours upon, him, upon you and me, not only His cleansing, but His Spirit. And that is why you can experience God's hiding, God's identity upon your life. And, then, and I'm going to just finish with one story, and, so, and I've shared this before. After my accident, which I talked about last week, last week, we were, our church had planned a very large uh, special meeting in which we would uh, be having a, a, good deal, a good deal of people there coming. And, uh, but the speaker who was supposed to speak got sick. Now, I had just come back from hospital and I had 232 mostly subcuticular uh, stitches on my face. So my face was completely messed up. And as the day came closer, it seemed very clear that there was this speaker would not be able to speak and I would have to speak. But I was on crutches. And I was... My face was so messed up that there have been people who look, would look at me and they would ex- exclaim with fright how, bad, how badly I looked. Um, if you take out my glasses, you can actually see some of these scars. But as the day came, the speaker did not get better and I had to speak. And I was going to be speaking in this hotel and it was a very, very large room. And I was going to be on the stage and everybody was in very apprehensive that I was going to be the one who's going to be speaking, not least of all myself. And I realized that there was a big gap between what was real, my own rocky cragginess, my own horrible look, and what needed to happen. And I realized that if I put on makeup, it wouldn't do any good. Anyway, makeup's horrible for me. And so I began to pray. And I prayed in the Spirit, believing that God would cover me, even if with a colorless liquid like olive oil, in such a way that even though my face and its swollenness and all its, its ugliness could be seen very, very clearly, I would be covered by that. I, they managed to get me to a place where I wasn't using crutches, I was using a walking stick. So I had a walking stick which was better than crutches and I was going to speak. And I spoke for about 25 minutes to half an hour. And then I spoke, the Holy Spirit somehow put me aside, put me to the side And God was speaking to this congregation of people. And at the end of it, when I asked for people to come up to to, to, to receive the Lord, almost half of them came up. Some of them were Christians, of course. But there were lots of people. And there were people who were actually um, having uh, very serious problems. And I remember at that time, there was one guy who came up during that that point. And we prayed for him. And immediately he manifested demons. He started getting violent and he started screaming and all that. And everybody was freaked out to see, to see that. Immediately, I just came down with my, with my stick and I just prayed for him together with some others. And immediately, he calmed down and 
we cast out the, the demons out of his uh, out of him, and he got up rejoicing. Got up rejoicing, and I realized that all that was transpiring at that moment had nothing to do with the way I looked. It had nothing to do with my image. It had nothing to do with how, the way I was dressed or how I even spoke. It had everything to do with God coming on, the, on in front of me and 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 so much so that people were seeing God even though they didn't see him physically, rather than me. I was him. The great thing is this, after, after that, that meeting, people were talking about it, and we were talking, and, uh, and I just mentioned, yeah, and it's amazing how God can work, even though we look so ugly. And this person who was new, who came for that meeting, he says, what do you mean you're so ugly? I said, look at my scars. And he said, oh my gosh, I never even noticed that. I never even noticed that you had scars. And you see, that's how God has a way in which he can put his identity upon us as a covering. Amen? Let us pray. I wonder whether there are some of us who come to an end of your road and you feel that God is not there. Perhaps you feel you've messed up. Or perhaps you feel like that rock, that craggy rock that feels so exposed. In your life, The good news is this, not by virtue of any good that we have done, not by virtue of any of our abilities, God has not only accepted us, but he has given us a new name. You can call yourself whatever, society can call you whatever, but none of that is valid, except what God calls you. And I want to invite you to make a move towards God. Come back to Bethel. For some of you, you need to leave Shechem and leave the identity, the things that we chase for, to give ourselves a name and come back to Bethel because you are much better than anything that Shechem can say of you. Come back to him and give your life to him. Jesus, we recognize you are doing a very deep work in many of us right now. And we say amen. Go deeper than our scarring of times that we've been stuck in Shechem. We ask right now, you will go deeper still until we are so rooted in Bethel. We'll be so rooted in you. And I just sense right now for parents or for those who have care for other people, that there are times that they followed us into Shechem. And we are even praying for them right now, Lord. We're praying for our sons and our daughters, those we've been discipling, those we care about, those that we've wanted to represent for you, but we've led people in the wrong direction. We ask right now for a great covering over us as you take us out of Shechem and you take them out of Shechem. Even technologies right now, Lord God, you're delivering people from. The desire, in Jesus' name, to have social media. The desire for an identity by getting in on the wide road and not the highway. You see, the highway may not be a wide road, but we thank you. You will cover us as we silently slip off out of Shechem. And we come into you right now. And we go in a deep place with you, God. We bring our children there. We bring our children with us in Jesus' name and say, deliver our children from this age. Deliver them from any technology that's not helpful. Yes, Lord. Deliver them from any dominion that anything other than you would try to take on their bodies, on their soul, on their mind. We declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to just surrender your life to him. Some of you are saying, I need a new makeover. You don't need a makeover. You need a new life from God, and he has given it to you. Give your life to him. 
as simple as this, just telling him, I give my life over to you. You are the one in charge of me. Henceforth, I do not go chasing after other identities, but I want what you say of me. I want you. I want to invest my life in you. I want to go back to Bethel and live there. I'm done living in Shechem, trying to keep up with this false image. I'm back with you, Lord. Come and forgive me for all my sins. Wipe away my past and give me a new life. And what will happen is that you will be given new life and things will happen differently. Lord, I just welcome you. We welcome you into each one of our lives. Set us on a highway. In the name of Jesus, amen.